welcome to Ivy League Murders. My name is Sarah Alcorn. I'm a Harvard graduate and a private investigator. And my name is Laura Rodriguez McDonald. I'm a University of Miami graduate, longtime crime aficionado, and part of a fourth generation NYPD family. Laura and I don't always agree on everything. With her NYPD roots and my criminal defense background, sometimes we find ourselves on opposite sides of the jury. We do share a mutual passion for crime solving, and we both grew up in Cambridge, steps away from Harvard University. On Ivy League Murders, we discuss cases where the best of the best make the worst decisions. We look at people who seemingly have it all and throw it all away. Murder, murder. So this week, we really should call this episode an Ivy League mystery, because we don't even know if there was murder or any foul play involved. In fact, it's kind of a mystery wrapped within a mystery. On January 14, 1979, heiress Marcia Moore walked into the woods and disappeared. From a wealthy family of Sheridan Hotel legacy and a graduate from Harvard, Moore embraced and wrote about alternative lifestyles, yoga, trips to India, and other trips, particularly on the horse tranquilizer, ketamine. Did Marcia wander into the woods on such a trip, or did something more sinister happen to her? Then in 2010 and 3,000 miles away, a man's body was found in the woods of Maine. He was the Stacyville John Doe for a decade and went unidentified until a listener on a true crime podcast followed her hunch. No one had heard from Christopher Roof in a while. There was a Facebook group to the tune of, hey, anybody heard from Chris? Does anybody know what happened to him? Roof was a beloved teacher in Concord, Massachusetts, and a big fan of Henry David Thoreau. Thoreau is most famous for his meditations on nature and living in the woods. Could the John Doe in Maine be Christopher? And did he take Thoreau's decision to live deliberately in the woods too much to heart? When it was revealed that Christopher Roof was the Stacyville John Doe, Journalist Alex McDougall covered the case for the Bangor Daily News. As he dug deeper into Christopher Roof's background, he made a startling connection to Marcia Moore's case. So this is really a fascinating case, and it really interests me that there's a reporter, a true crime podcast, all kind of involved. So, Alexander, maybe you could tell us how you fell upon this case since you're integral in this case, the way it uncovered itself. Can you just sure. tell us how you wound up with? Sure, I can tell. Um, so just a little bit about my background is I'm a native of Massachusetts. I you know, was always interested in writing and journalism. I went to Worcester State University for my bachelor's in communications, and then I decided after working a few kind of random jobs, I decided I wanted to pursue journalism full time. So I went, got my master's degree in journalism at Boston University. After that, I got a job working for the Bangor Daily News in Maine, working for one of their weekly papers that they own, the Holton Pioneer Times in Aroostook County. So I'm writing for the Bangor Daily News, but also doing more local stories for 
their local Holton Pioneer Times paper. Long before I joined the organization, I think it was 2010, someone had come across this body. It was an unidentified John Doe in the Tempeo, Maine. I think it was like a hunter in the woods had come across it. And it had been a mystery. They had not been completely unable to identify the body. Maine State Police had been unable to identify the body. There had been no missing persons report that matched the DNA. It had been always kind of a mystery. And so while I'm at Holton Pioneer Times, fast forward 10 years later, they finally find out. They managed to ID the body as being belonging to Christopher Roof. Can you explain to our listeners how they made that connection? Because I think it is pretty interesting. A little bit of background, I guess, about Christopher Roof, substitute teacher in Concord, Massachusetts. Everyone had kind of liked him. And so he had vanished shortly before his body had been discovered, but no one had, for reasons we'll get into, I'm sure, later, no one had filed a missing person for him. But there had been a Facebook group titled, Where is Mr. Roof? Where people had speculated about, oh, what had happened? Should we go to somebody about this? Does anybody know what happened to him? And one of those people had been listening to a true crime podcast. I believe it has an expletive in the name. I don't know if we'll say it, but... We don't care. I don't care. Say it, please. But it's called... I believe the name of it is True Crime Bullshit, is the name of the podcast. Let's give them credit for what they did. Yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> part of, she was listening to it, and they were talking about something completely unrelated. But I think as part of their podcast, they say, here's these John has any leads. One of the former students was listening to this podcast and had heard the description of the body and said, mm, that kind of sounds like Mr. Root. And so she just tipped off the Maine State Police. They managed to get in contact with some family members, and it did turn out to be a match. There was a hat that said Chris, so they knew that, you know, they, I'm sure they surmised that his name must have been Chris in some manner. But I think he was also, he was kind of wearing kind of like not really clothes you would wear in the woods in Maine. He was wearing kind of like a vineyard vines. Uh, like New Balance sneakers, kind of a little more fancier kind of get up. Um, I think that we had like a briefcase with like some water bottles in it. I'm not sure exactly. I'm sure if I can, if you look in the, some one of the articles I've written, you can go with that full description. Upon hearing that description, she said that kind of sounds like Mr. Roof because it was very sort of distinguished kind of outfit. And so because of that, they did manage to identify the body. And so the, how it came to me was Maine State Police had just put out a simple press release saying, we've identified the body of Stacey Veljondo as belonging to Christopher Roof of Concord, Massachusetts. That's pretty much what the release said. That's all there was. But you found out that the story was actually more involved and with lots more Cambridge and Harvard ties. And Yes. Uh, but before we get into that, sorry, I just, um, was there any cause of death for the Stacyville John Doe for now what we know as Chris Roof? To my knowledge, Maine State Police have not made any sort of statement regarding the cause of death that has not been publicly released information. So I'm sure maybe if you could file some kind of request, I don't know. It might be still under investigation, but I remember I did try to see if I could get like a like an autopsy report or something, and that was not given to me. But I was able to get some more details, sort of confirming that Christopher Roof was the the Christopher Roof who I thought it was. So I just had kind of left it at that. But to my knowledge, the Maine State Police have not put out anything. I thought it had been undetermined that I could be wrong on that, but um, no foul play that we know of so far. As far as we know of, no. I mean, Baseyville is kind of in this very rural wooded area. And as far as I know, again, people had sort of believed that Christopher Roof had gone off for the intention of living in the woods somewhere. So I don't, I'm not sure if it's suspected, but I don't know what the Maine State Police are. Like another Concord native? 
It's hard to talk about this case without talking about the comparisons that it really has to Thoreau and Walden. Right. And somebody just kind of walking. I mean, he didn't just walk into the, it was more deliberate, but that kind of idea of going off into the woods and living on your own to find peace. Yes. Uh, Christopher Roof was known to be a admirer of uh, David Thoreau, who also lived in the town of Concord, Massachusetts. I also believe Roof was a member of the same congregation church that Henry David Thoreau had belonged to. So he has sort of, he was a big admirer of Thoreau. He was a very literary person too. I believe he went to school at Emerson College for the, not sure the exact nature of the degree, but it was, you know, English literature kind of degree. Had always sort of admired Thoreau, was known to admire Thoreau. So again, when he had sort of left in 2009, 2010, everyone had sort of assumed that maybe he had gone off to live some kind of Walden lifestyle. You know Thoreau's dirty little secret, though, don't you? Uh, that, you know, he lived like within a, like a mile of his mother's house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of like camping in your yard. Kind of like a little <laughs> intrepid. I knew he lived like close to town and stuff. He could probably go in and get supplies if he ever needed some. But. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't as rugged, I think, as people who have tried to recreate it have. <laughs> you cover the story of the Stacyville John Doe. They figure out that this is Christopher Roof. And then what happens in the story for you after that? It fell into my lap just because Stacyville is in my coverage area. It's part of the northern Penobscot, southern Aroostook County area. It's a very rural location but it falls within my coverage area. Uh, so basically, my editor said, oh, you know, the state police just put out this. Is it possible for you to get any more additional information? And that's really, again, was not expected to stumble upon everything I fell upon. So, but I wanted to try to get some stuff. You know, I reached out to Maine State Police. They weren't super, you know, they don't always want to reveal things that are still under investigation. Of course. But I just figured I was, I was sort of intrigued because, you know, he was from Massachusetts and I'm also from Massachusetts. So maybe that's why I decided to dig into it just a little more. So I kind of looked at some, maybe if I could find some like property record in Concord, maybe I could find something. And that came across, you know, a few relatives' names. And I think from that, eventually, I stumbled upon something regarding Marsha Moore and that Christopher Roof was her son, just that. And then, of course, when you see that kind of stuff, you think, well, you know, this can't be the same Christopher Roof. You know, there's no way that's kind of, this looks a lot more, if it is, this is a lot bigger than I thought. But eventually, I kind of looked more, you know, the Concord Library has some online resources that seem to fit. And then eventually I, I kind of went back to the main state police saying, oh, I'm just trying to confirm that this is in fact, you know, like Christopher L. Roof of Concord, Mass, of the who is the son of Marsha Moore. And that's when they kind of got back like, oh, yeah, you know, that's you're on the right track. That's kind of. So, what... so who is Marsha Moore? So Marsha Moore was a former Radcliffe College graduate, of course, now part of Harvard University's merged. She was involved in a lot of, I guess we would consider countercultural stuff of the 1960s, stuff that today we kind of tend, is a little more mainstream, things like astrology and yoga. But at the time, those were kind of more like fringe, weird kind of things. But the uh, peculiar thing about that is that she also sort of met an untimely death in a matter that is strikingly similar to Christopher Roof. Now, whether that's a coincidence or not, I can't say. It could very well be. But she also just, the circumstances surrounding her death are 
so maybe we could talk about Marcia a little more because she was, she was, I mean, she really was ahead of her time in her ideas. She was in India in the fifties studying spirituality and Hindu. And that's pretty fascinating to me. I mean, she, she published books and she, she came from a very conservative family from Cambridge that she was the heiress to the Sheridan hotel chain. She came from a pretty prominent family and I guess they were fairly horrified by her kind of alternative lifestyle and the fact that she married, she did marry four times as well. So, and she had a famous brother too, Robin Moore. He also went to Harvard and wrote the Green Berets and the French Connection, which were huge, huge books and movies. You know, we can come back to him later because he winds up having some interesting theories about her her disappearance. But what really I think is the clincher on on Marcia Moore is she had an interest in ketamine, which is Interesting because I was looking at this yesterday and now there are hospitals who are experimenting with this and the way she was, but she was doing this on her own with her husband years and years ago, correct? Yes. Yeah, so she was a sort of, I guess you would call her an early adopter of the experiments with ketamine, which for those who might not know is a commonly referred to as a horse tranquilizer medication. It's a very, very powerful drug that, you know, causes kind of like hallucinations and it's very trippy and it's just a very powerful overall sort of drug. As I mentioned, she had been involved in these sort of countercultural things like astrology, yoga, which at the time was probably, I'm sure, got grouped in with a lot of the drug use, drug counterculture of the 60s. So I'm sure she was involved in all of that. But I, it was with her last husband, I believe his name is Howard Altunian. I could be just saying that. Howard Altunian where she kind of began to experiment with these kind of drugs. And I, sh- I guess I should also mention, too, that Christopher, her son, for the most part, tended to follow a lot of his mother's sort of teachings, I guess, or philosophy on life. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned, Hinduism. I think he lived at like an ashram. I think his nickname was like Krishna instead of like Chris, because you know, he was kind of involved in that sort of stuff. From my understanding is that he was somewhat, he was adamantly opposed ketamine he did not think that was a good idea at all and so i think because of that ketamine is believed by some to have contributed to her death and so i think because of that i think he kind of took her death rather hard because he had been opposed and he had always been sort of in general very close with his mother so for our listeners who don't know what happened to marcia Moore. so basically she also disappeared this was in not in maine though this was in the state of washington on the other side of the country disappeared in january of 1979 for how long two years and you know there had been all this search one really knew where she went and i think eventually at some point her body i think part of it was part of her skull or something or something they had been doing construction and i think they had unearthed part of her body or something and they were able to eventually identify with her it was not that far from where her house in Washington was, so she did not go very far. So there's, again, no one really knows how, uh, but the most commonly accepted belief that, you know, might have been was a ketamine drug trip gone awry, left the house, went into the woods, probably froze to death or got lost, died. But it's interesting that she was found close to where she disappeared because there was an extensive search done for her. Yeah. So it's quite interesting that she wasn't found and then wasn't Hertzkall found someplace they had already searched? It searched the area, but as I mentioned, I think they were doing some construction on right. it when it happened. Also, didn't they find a hole in the skull? 
as well? I'm not sure about that. My understanding, but I could be entirely incorrect because I only read a little bit of part, was that it might have been part of the skull, like the skull had been fractured. And that might have just been from being buried in the dirt for so long, but I'm not quite sure to the details on that. And her death becomes another kind of unexplained, right? We don't have a cause of death. We don't really know what, we don't know if there's foul play. We don't know what happened to her. Right. There was a lot of rampant speculation, again, because she had that sort of like radical countercultural background. Certainly a lot of the family family members think it might have been something suspicious or have stated that in the past, at least. But it, again, there are no real known details. That case has never really been fully solved. And her husband, Dr. Altunian, he was an anesthesiologist, correct? And he was a suspect, but they spent a lot of time extensively clearing him. Yeah. Is that correct? That is to my understanding correct. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that Robin Moore, her brother, who was the writer, had these big theories about a cult being involved and really kind of bizarre ideas about what happened to her. Yeah, he seems to have believed, you know, he used a lot of pretty dramatic language yet, like cult, I'm sure like satanic sex yeah. <laughs> or just satanic cult or just sex cult, I mean, who knows. But yes, he is generally of the belief. But I guess it should also be mentioned here that as you mentioned, he was an author, French connection, Green Beret. Have you ever seen the Green Beret? It's basically the only pro Vietnam war movie. <laughs> so he had a more I think a more of a conservative view of life, which I think, you know, maybe from his perspective like she was involved in a satanic sex cult, but it could have been a regular countercultural hippie people. Right. Her lifestyle was probably so foreign to him that it probably seemed like some far out cult when it was just... Sarah and I grew up in Cambridge, so this kind of alternative lifestyle, 60, 70 person is something we recognize pretty well. So I thought it was pretty interesting that she had lived in Cambridge throughout her life because it is kind of somewhere, especially then, you would go if you had an alternative lifestyle. Right, right. And she lived in several locations. I know she lived in Maine, too, when she was mm -hmm. there. That's another strange connection as well. Laura and I were talking about this and. Laura, you brought up a really good point. You wonder, you know what I'm going to say, Laura, I won't take your... Uh, no, no, you know. go. Yeah, I mean, we just wonder if his disappearance had been influenced by hers. It is such a bizarre... And then Sarah had said, kind of like a suicide, a parent suicide. And this is just so bizarre that the mother and son would both go just go missing. Right. So, yeah. So, as I mentioned, she does have a connection to Maine. Her third husband, I believe, Mark Douglas, they live together in Maine, I believe in Cape Elizabeth, Maine, sort of on the coastline there. And they lived there for several years. I believe they ran sort of an alternative bookshop. They had this kind of nice kind of house overlooking the coast. So yeah, there is this sort of main connection, but I should also mention that Stacyville, Maine, where Christopher Roof is found, is quite far from Cape Elizabeth. If you've ever been to Maine, you'll know that the coastal parts of the state and the northern wooded part of the state mm -hmm. are very, very different. Right. How far into the woods was Roof found? Was he really, if he's found by a hunter, was he really up in there? I'm I'm not sure. I don't think so. I think, I guess I should mention that if you're in Stacyville, Maine, you're far in the woods. It doesn't. Okay. okay. Right. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. <laughs> far in the woods. I guess maybe one thing, you know, this is just, this might be a little far too, but it's located near uh, Mount Katahdin in Maine. Mm-hmm you're familiar with 
But Henry David Thoreau did also write a story about going to the, this northern part of Maine. Wow. Um, oh, interesting. So I don't know if that had anything to do with it. It could be that. I also do know that while they lived in Maine, Christopher Roof attended summer camp. I don't know where in Maine the summer camp was, whether it was close or maybe it was somewhere up there. That might have been an influential factor. Maybe it was a part of his childhood that he really liked. I'm not sure, but there is family connection between Marcia Moore and the state of Maine as well. Wow. It's such a weird and interesting case with all these connections and then these connections to Thoreau. It, it's pretty fascinating. Yeah. Well, Alex, thank you so much for doing this with us and coming on the show and talking about this case. And I love that it just gives me a thrill as an investigator thinking about you kind of going, huh, let me just take a little closer look at Christopher Ruth. Let, let's just see. And then, wow. Okay. No, no, no. Okay. His mother's name was Marsha Moore. I mean, it couldn't be, you know, I mean, I can see you just kind of getting excited about it and yeah. uncovering this and great job by the way. It's not really something you would think would come out of a little missing persons case in Maine, which is yep. really why it's almost such a gem because you just yep. don't expect it at all. And then to kind of walk into this heiress in the Sheridan and Harvard and there's all this stuff is pretty. Now, can I ask before we go, why was Christopher never reported missing? My understanding is that because he was known to be kind of this admirer of Henry David Thoreau, it seemed that he had turned in like his house key or the wherever he was living, his apartment key before he left. It was believed that he had left with the intention to go live somewhere remotely or in the woods. And because of that, his family filed a missing persons report. As I mentioned, there was the Facebook group, the, you know, where is Mr. Roof? Or there there had definitely been some people interested on, you know, hey, what happened to him? Did he go anywhere? But again, I believe at some point, I think, had thought about going to the press about it. But again, I think it was the family that said, we don't want anybody kind of looking into this, or at least we think he just went off and we don't want to file a missing person report. Right. Another thing we've often seen in these kind of old families is this kind of, they, they often don't want any press or publicity coming into the family. So they think it's a dynamic we've seen before. Right. right. And you, you kind of wonder if, if that was at play here, but it is interesting. So it, he kind of deliberately went away, you're saying, so people yeah, weren't. believe that. He had left the town with the intention of right, kind of right. leave me right, leave me alone. Where she has just she had just wandered off. Yeah, it was not so far fetched to believe that he had just gone and lived in the woods. Then just pretended. right, right, yep. I kind of wonder how many people have wandered into the woods because of Thoreau and Walden. <laughs> yeah, you never know. I don't think Laura and I are going to be wandering into the woods anytime soon. No, Walden Pond <laughs> is about as far as I get into the woods. It's pretty cold out tonight, too. Yes, it definitely say. is. <laughs> well, we, if you're in you're in Menden, you're feeling it, too. Alex. Better than Holton, though, which is where I was living. I mean, that was just a very remote location. Lovely play, lovely little town. It's got a nice little historic downtown. It's very nice, but mm. definitely very remote. Yeah, sure. Menden's pretty remote, too. <laughs> for, for Massachusetts. For mass, but, yeah. but you're closer to, uh, to some Open. other things. If I wanted Taco Bell, I'd have to drive like an hour to get some. Wow. <laughs> oh, no. Alex, thanks a million. Thank Appreciate you so it. much. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much. Right. Okay. Thanks, thanks Alex. Bye-bye. Bye. Murder. Murder. Murder.